Hi everyone, welcome back to another We Need to Talk About Movies podcast, uh, extra edition. Uh, so today it's just me again, chatting shite to you. And today I am going to be talking about none other than Dune, which has just been released. The most modern version of it, directed by Denis Villeneuve, who directed the uh, previous Blade Runner, um, Arrival, which I really, really enjoyed, Arrival. And yeah, when I found out that Villeneuve was going to be directing this newer version of Dune, I was very excited. Not that I'm a Dune fan. I must admit, I've not read the books, the Frank Herbert books. I've tried to watch the David Lynch version a couple of times. I usually get about halfway through and lose interest. Uh, but this new version of June, I think because we're at the pl- a place where we are with special effects, seemed to me like this was the cinematic event of the year that I was waiting for. More so than James Bond. You know, you've seen one James Bond film, you've seen them all. I was always really interested for this version of Dune to come out so we could get into the story. Because like when Lord of the Rings came out, I hadn't really followed the books. It wasn't really interesting to me till I watched the film. And then I was like, oh, this is amazing. I finally got it, you know. And sometimes having a an inroad through film, we get to break into that world and I've always been interested but the books Frank Herbert's books are huge and there's so many of them that I've just sort of like nah I can't be bothered to get into that um so to be able to watch a film which you understood because let's face it the David Lynch version isn't as sort of straightforward so anyway in this chat I've been and watched the new Dune. I've caught up and watched the old David Lynch version. Uh, so I'm just going to sort of not compare the two, just discuss the both, just discuss them both, and also point to a lot of influences that are very, very apparent having watched this new Dune. Uh, just how much the Dune books must have influenced George Lucas to make the Star Wars films. Um, so we'll get on to that later. But yeah, first of all, before I watched Dune 2021 version, I thought I'd watch the June 1984 David Lynch version, which I got on DVD. So I picked it up to watch and I was going to do it sort of in the same style of as the films that I own. I haven't watched. I was going to watch it and then come back and discuss it. Uh, this is the introduction here. <laughs> So tonight I've got lined up the uh, David Lynch version of Dune, which at the time sort of flopped. Um, uh, My older brother always says that, you know, the film missed the mark, the books are really good, and that there should be a remake coming up uh, once all the effects and that were worthy of it, because they always say it's unfilmable, but they used to say the same about Lord of the Rings, didn't they? So, brave statement, comparing this to Lord of the Rings, I'm not actually... You know, it'd be quite interesting to see what happens, to see how it comes out, to see if someone who doesn't know the books can go in and enjoy this newer version. But yeah, I thought, first of all, I would revisit the old version. And so I'll watch that now, give a quick rundown review of that afterwards, then tomorrow. But at the end of this episode, we'll do it all in one episode. I'm going to watch the new film. Then I will give you a rundown episode of that and sort of a side-by-side comparison, I suppose. Compare the two and see how that how they look against each other and as films on their own right. So here we go. Without further ado, I am going to stick on Dune 
the original David Lynch film, which I can't even remember what year it is. But so I've got the uh, case for June here. It is one of the CDs, you know, one of the CD cased paper DVDs that I got free with a newspaper. This one came with the Observer. Um, on the front shows like two moons over the desert, and it says Academy Award nominee. So, Carl McCockland, Sting, Max von Sydow, Patrick Stewart and Linda Hunt. Dune, a place beyond your dreams, a movie beyond your imagination. David Lynch's epic, based on Frank Herbert's cult novel, features some of the most spectacular sets ever built. And special effects by triple Oscar winner Carlo Rambaldi. And maybe that's where we got the... Uh, the Academy Award for the sets, perhaps. It is a world of menace, grandeur and intrigue. The planet Dune, 10,000 years into the future. Giant mile-long sandworms guard its most precious and priceless assets. The Spice Melange. Melange. The Spice Melange. Or Melange. Which permits travel through time and space. Whoever controls the spice and its secrets controls the universe. An epic conflict rips the galaxy as Paul... Atreides leads his people into combat against the evil Harkonnens for possession of the planet. But on Dune, Paul discovers that he has an even greater destiny to fulfil. Contains some strong violence. Okay, so then what happened was I started the film and I must have got about half an hour into it and... There was a few minor distractions in the room and I just couldn't follow it. I didn't know what was going on. I Very long-winded. If you didn't know the material, it's trying to make sense of who people are and what the hell's going on. Um, and I ended up turning it off and I thought, sod it. I'll watch the new June tomorrow. Uh, hopefully this, you know, also thinking that if I watched, finished watching the David Lynch film, you know, it, perhaps it would ruin the story for me anyway when I came to watch the Villeneuve film. So I just put it aside and I watched the Villeneuve film. And then I came back uh, the following day and watched the rest of the David Lynch version. So in the David Lynch version, there's a lot of voiceovers. And I mean, the whole sort of uh, the Bene Gesserit control, what they call it, is the voice. So it's it's almost like, you know, they, it's a voice that they can use that makes people bend to their will and they get into characters subconscious and they can move stuff around. But there's apart from that, there's a lot of voiceovers anyway and a lot of people saying what they're thinking. And it's a cheap method of sort of expression, but I suppose it's tied up to the books as well. Not quite sure. But the film, it... Um, you know, it starts off with the girl talking, telling the, the story. You know, she's given the background of the spice and whatever. And then it goes, you have the title sequence, which the music, the theme tune by Brian Eno really, really enjoyed that. Uh, and Toto do the, the, the musical score throughout. It's quite a good soundtrack on this. I did enjoy the score. It's quite ominous. But uh, after you've watched the title sequence and then it goes into almost tells you the same things again uh, and tell, starts describing where the planets are and who's on what planets and things. So it's a lot of exposition sort of being told to us. And then we get 
into the story and you see this strange creature thing come along and it's you can completely see how David Lynch sort of <laughs> was drawn to this because that's that creature thing like you know it's like this hideous puppet like in this big tank reminds me a bit of Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles but there's something so sort of razor head about this puppet and it keeps zooming in on its mouth which looks like this little puckered vagina it's like real real strange but yeah it's got this real David Lynch strange feel to it and I mean the whole film although it's not the most accessible of science fiction movies by far I mean David Lynch's Dune is disturbing it's very theatrical it almost looks like a stage play it almost looks like it's done on stage there's these big elaborate sets but at no time does it feel like you're on a planet or you know you always feel like you're in a set Uh, and the framing for the different shots give a real odd feeling but apart from that, it's like quite a dark story matter. And then when you meet certain characters, they all look pretty hideous, you know, especially none more so than the Baron, where he's all covered in pus and warts and they're just injecting and siphoning these warts off of his face. And then when you first see Patrick Stewart and Kyle McLaughlin fighting, and the effects are quite, sort of primitive you know this was 1984 and the shields that they use they turn these shields on when they fight and they basically are surrounded in this big electronic box it looks very sort of early almost tron style effects in a sense uh, but but not i don't know and i don't know how they would have done this i don't know if that would have been computer generated then it looks like it's computer generated but that seems quite early for cgi and you never hear it sort of mentioned when i've watched documentaries about early cgi in it but as i was saying this lynch it is lynch through and through this film and none more so than the sounds it's i don't know if you ever watched the twin peaks especially the newer versions the newer episodes of the twin peaks and there's one episode so i think it was like it's episode eight of the last series of twin peaks and it was just so disturbing there's nothing really happens and it's basically agent carter walking through this strange alternate world it was really odd but there's a lot of these sort of sounds open air sound i don't know i don't know how to describe it but the sound in this film is completely lynch I found it more interesting to watch this film as a reflection on David Lynch and where it fits within his work than to watching the film and picking up the story because it's it is really it's a rushed film it's really clumsy and clunky the timeline seems to go you know one minute it seems to leap from one scene to the next and it could be years in between you're trying to work out hang on we're a lot further on now and you know, the scene where the mother gives birth to the baby and then, like, in the next scene almost, the baby is this strange little girl. It's very hard to get into the film. And I can imagine that as science fiction films were sort of doing the rounds and becoming really popular again because of Star Wars, people would have jumped to see this film. And I can imagine it, like, people who are fans of Star Wars coming out going, no, I don't know what I've just watched. <laughs> 
I mean, the effects and the designs were great. Some of the spaceships and that looked good. The sandworms and that was, I suppose it's all miniature animation. It was fairly effective, but it's even for its time, it wasn't as good as it could have been. You know, there was just seemed almost a lot of this film, like the scenes where they're climbing up on the sandworms back and that, it seemed almost like Ray Harryhausen, you know, very dated and juttery and there's a a real fakeness about it, which, you know, it's something that the Star Wars films never had. When you watch them, you completely believe in what you're seeing and everything, the scale and the size looks amazing. And I think it's something in Lynch's Dune, they struggled with that. Um, a, a lot of the characters you see in this film, you you see pop up again and again in Lynch's work. Notably, Carl McLaughlin, who would... I don't think he'd done Blue Velvet at this point, had he? Pretty sure Blue Velvet came out after this. But then there's Jack Nance, who was a Razorhead, and he goes on to feature in The Twin Peaks. Uh, Everett McGill is also in this, and he's present in the Twin Peaks and I think other stuff of Lynch's. Plus Lynch himself has a bit of a cameo. You've got Dean Stockwell turns up in this as the family's doctor. Um, you might remember him at Quantum Leap, but he also makes an appearance in um, Blue Velvet. So there's a lot going on in this film that makes it a complete Lynch. You know, it really does slot into the Lynch work. Um, perhaps it's cast in Sting as this uh, warrior wasn't quite as good. I mean, he just, he never felt like an actor watching this. He always felt like he was uncomfortable on the screen. But yeah, you watch this and you think, uh, George Lucas had asked David Lynch to direct Return of the Jedi. And it just makes you wonder what you would have seen had David Lynch directed Return of the Jedi. Because, you know, this does not feel like a Star Wars film. This was disturbing. It was... It was twisted. I mean, Lynch completely owns all the imagery and the dream sequences in this film uh, are completely what you expect from Lynch. And I can't see him fitting into that Star Wars mould. But he actually told George Lucas he didn't understand Star Wars, which to me is quite surprising because the similarities between this and Star Wars are absolutely huge. But let's get on to June 2021 and then we'll come back to how... Star Wars and Dune are quite similar. June 2021. I watched this at the cinema and I was mesmerised. It was just, it was awesome. Again, the soundscape, the visual aspect, the performances, the story. One of the first things I thought when I was watching Dune 21 um, was the similarities between... This and Avatar, first of all. They're going to this strange planet for this resource in Dune. It's the dust which helps to generate space travel. So whoever owns the dust owns the universe. Whereas in uh, Avatar, it's unobtainium (laughs) that they're going in for. And they 
you get this link with the indigenous people and Paul is obviously dreaming about this one girl. So there's going to be a love story there. You can tell it's all setting up, which is exactly what happens to Sam Worthington's character in Avatar. So I'm watching Dune thinking, ah, even Avatar has been influenced by this. As I said, I'd watched last night, the night before I watched this, I watched like 20 minutes of Dune. Uh, the Lynch version, and it didn't take very long before you'd caught up with everything I'd seen in that version. But it made sense watching it through Denis Villeneuve's interpretation of the story. Um, the hand-in-the-box scene was filmed in such a different way, and it relied heavily on sort of the framing of the actors and the lighting and the way the camera moved. Whereas the David Lynch version, I don't know if if you've seen Dune or not, basically the old witch is testing the main character, Paul, but she um, sort of tells him to put his hand in this box. And in the David Lynch version, you see this sort of hand getting burnt by fire and melting, and you can see him like really reacting to that. Whereas in this version, they haven't shown you what's in the box. Villeneuve has decided that he's going to make that the the mystery, so it plays on your mind. It's done effectively, but I think the that is a standout scene in the David Lynch version with the hand in the box. But Timothy Chalamet as the main character is really good in this. He's like he's not a broody teenager. He's not moody. He sort of knows what he wants, um, but he has this sort of strange air of confidence that you don't often get in a leading character like if you watch lord of the rings or you watch the star wars films or harry potter harry luke frodo they're very whiny they don't want the responsibility they sort of been given whereas paul he's very accepting of it he's he's beginning to understand that he may well be the chosen one and he's embracing what is thrown at him you get this sense of he's very sensible lad and he knows what he wants and what he wants to do i think casting oscar isaac because his dad was a really great role i mean i love oscar isaac he does some brilliant performances and in this he's got full-on king's beard and he's thrown into this big political sort of landscape which he has to try and to try and appear strong-faced and he knows what's you know what's coming and he's trying to give his son the heads up. Now, this isn't a slur on the actor Josh Brolin, but for me, the one character I didn't like to see was Josh Brolin. I don't know why. It's almost like he's too recognisable as an actor. And he sort of, when I watched him in this, especially in some of the fighting scenes and some of the scenes where he's chasing and having war, he seemed very much to me like an actor in the film doing his macho man stuff whereas everyone else felt like characters but every time i saw him i didn't see his character i saw josh brolin i I don't know why that is but yeah i just wasn't convinced by his character or by the casting of him but apart from that i can't really think of anyone else who i didn't like in the film it's not that i didn't like him he's done you know he's a good actor he does it well but it just wasn't wasn't so realistic for me having him in there drew me out of the film a bit so june again is all about 
the sort of the language, the voice, using language to influence others and the power of language, um, which is a theme that Denis, Denis Villeneuve again explored in Arrival, which I think that film, there's hints throughout the film of Amy Adams' backstory. And then at the end, when they work out the language that these aliens are talking to them, the language transcends time and space and it's more powerful than they could ever think. And again, this this theme of language is very heavy through Dune. So it makes you wonder if, you know, Denise Villeneuve being a foreigner working on American soil and for American companies, language and theme must have always been an obstacle that he had to overcome. And maybe that's why it's very in the forefront of his films or his choice of films. But his films look stunning, impeccable. Uh, none more so than this. I mean, some of the ship designs, absolutely brilliant. I love the little uh, sort of dragonfly aircrafts. And everything in this world is mechanical as well. There's no computer-assisted stuff. Everything is analogue. And that's something that evolved from the books as well because there's there's no artificial intelligence. Prior to this, apparently, there's been a war with artificial intelligence that tried to sort of wipe out humanity. So that's why you don't see any computers and things in it. It's all mechanical. It's all like compasses for navigation and what have you. But yeah, some of the other ship designs anyway, like there's one ship that brings, uh, I can't remember the name now, the Aquaman actor. It brings him in at the beginning and it looks so much like the recognisers from Tron. It's almost the same design and the way all bits of the ship move almost seem the same. And then the big transport ships that lift up from out the sea to take people off to the, the new planet. The, the scale is just amazing, and you see the water washing down the sides of it. These big triangular sort of spaceships, and they're so vast. And that's another thing that really effectively Villeneuve achieves in this: it's the scale of things. It does, nothing looks like it's a little model; everything looks huge. And the first scene where they finally get away from that worm, and it comes up and it eats that that plant and you just see that worm for the first time and you're like oh my god that worm is absolutely ginormous you know there's this massive sense of scale really achieved in this film um stellan skarsgård plays the baron he's barely recognizable he's under this like hideous i, I guess it's it's almost a fat soup i think a lot of it is cgi sort of like your golem effect you know but he's this uh, hugely a uh, beast and disgusting villain and the scars guard there's a few of them and they have taken over i mean he's got several children who seem to be in everything they seem to be in everything at the moment but they're always brilliant um i know one of his sons played pennywise the clown another one plays floki in the vikings um they're just great but yeah i thought he was really good as the villain of this piece so I mentioned with the Lynch version that um, the film heavily relied on sort of voiceover uh, to get their inner thoughts and also to represent the voice as well, I suppose. But the Denise Villeneuve version doesn't use the voice like that so much because, I mean, voiceover is something that can either add character and depth to a film or it can completely just sort of take the film down a level or two. I watched an interview with Dennis Villeneuve and he said that 
in this movie, he used the musical score by Hans Zimmer to accentuate the thoughts and to be used as the voiceover. And it does, the the music in this is brilliant. You know, typical Hans Zimmer, it sounds very Hans Zimmery, which, interesting fact for you in case you didn't know, Hans Zimmer made the theme tune for Going for Gold. Do you remember the old game show where they used to have the contestants waving awkwardly at the beginning? Yeah, that was Hans Zimmer, Going for Gold. And now look at him. He hasn't looked back. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a typical Zimmer sort of score. Puts you in mind of like the Dark Knight where he's scored that for Christopher Nolan. And actually Denise Villeneuve and Christopher Nolan, to me, they're two similar directors in that they've both got this grandiose sort of wide angle landscape. I don't know, they very similar in the way they both produce these films. Big, big films. Uh, anyway, I'm getting off the point. So yeah, Denise Villeneuve has used Hans Zimmer's score to become the voiceover to help us understand what characters are going through, to help us understand which direction the story's going in. And it does. The two work really well together and help to create not just the atmosphere of the film, uh, but uh, yeah, it does develops the characters and develops these worlds. Yeah, really great score. But yeah, I came out of the cinema and I did feel excited for what is to come. And I know that these books are intricate, they're in depth. And to do them justice, I mean, to keep the film under three hours was must have been a challenge, but it was impeccable. You know, it wasn't, it didn't need to be Lord of the Rings long. I don't know, a lot of people might be reading the books and watching the film saying, no, he's missed too much out. But to try and keep this film accessible to all and as tight to the story as I as he could I think that Villeneuve has done a splendid job and comparing it to Lord of the Rings I know people say it's you know maybe you shouldn't but I came out of that cinema and I felt like I did when I came out of the Fellowship of the Ring I can't wait to go back in there for part two so really excited for the future really excited for the rest of this franchise um I'm almost considering reading the book if i had a bit more time maybe i'd pick up the book but i've got several books on the go at at once at the moment anyway i know what'll happen i'll get 20 odd pages into it and never pick the bloody thing up again but yeah really excited for these uh and then i was going to mention just you know i didn't realize dune was written sort of before star wars i didn't know enough about it i think the first book of dune came out in the mid 60s and it's not until watching this now that you realise just how much George Lucas would say borrowed, to be polite, but some of it's almost stolen, you know, <laughs> from June to create the Star Wars world. I mean, not only do you have the main planet being the sand planet like you have on Tatooine with twin suns and sandworms, you know, you have the sandworm in in June, the Sarlacc in uh Return of the Jedi. But there's so much else that runs through it. You've got the main storyline of like the one child who can sort of bring peace. I mean, that's something, isn't it? The, the prophecies and the, the one saving the day. It goes throughout this genre of story. But here you have the voice in June, which you can completely see 
George Lucas has turned into the Force. You have the Bene Gesserit witches sort of practicing their magic ways and training in what is called Prana Bindu. And when George Lucas first wrote the Star Wars scripts and treatments, the Jedi was called Jedi Bendu. So Bindu Bendu is completely like, oh, I'm going to do that. You have these massive triangular spaceships, which I'm sure they must have been described in the book. George Lucas has turned these into the Star Destroyers. The Baron is completely Jabba the Hutt, you know. It's so much that now, having watched this new Dune, I'm aware, I'm like, oh my God, George, you have just pilfered all these ideas. Yes, you made them more accessible. You know, the way that he pulled Star Wars off was a, a, a massive success. You can't, you know, it's one of the biggest franchises in the world. But it just goes to show you that, you know, you have people borrow ideas from each other and from each other's work and you've only got to do it well. And you can soon sort of cover over the tracks left by the people before. Do you know what I mean? We See, I've grown up in this society thinking George Lucas invented this genre, you know, this science fiction. And now watching Dune, I realise oh, he hasn't at all. So, but anyway, that was me just having a bit of a, a ramble, ramble chat about June, June versus June versus Star Wars, I'm calling it. Anyway, yeah, I really enjoyed the film. I'm really glad I got to watch it and I cannot wait to see the next one. So everyone, thanks ever so much for watching. Or thanks ever so much for listening. And I will see you all again very shortly. Cheese and peace. Peace.